I want to give you some tools that you can use. I also just first want to really validate this is a complex decision. Expect it to be a decision that you make over time through mindful self-inquiry, both on your own and in the presence of others. And I think that's really important. Remember, you don't want to get stuck in that. Uh, Follow the do. <laughs> Follow the do. Um, forgive us for our terrible French accents. From the Relationship Center, I'm psychotherapist, couples counselor, and dating coach Jessica Engel, and this is I Love You Too, a show about how to create and sustain meaningful relationships. I'm professional certified coach Josh Van Vliet. On today's episode, we're going to talk about should I stay or should I go? How to know whether to break up or commit to your relationship. We're so happy you're here, and please remember that this show is not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hello and welcome everybody. We are going to be talking today about should I stay or should I go? This is a topic, of course, that is huge for people who are dating in relationships and, you know, obviously particularly comes up when something is perhaps not working or there's some question of, is this working? And so I'm, I'm really glad that we have a chance to, to dig into it today. Me too. We want to start with a couple of disclaimers up top so we can save some of you some time. So the first one to start with is if you're in an abusive relationship, the answer to should I stay or should I go is go. Go and go safely. The National Domestic Abuse Hotline offers free confidential support 24-7 to help you leave a, an abusive relationship. We will link to that in our show notes, along with the One Love Foundation, which offers really excellent resources for planning a safe breakup. In addition, the other thing I want you to look at is whether you are worrying about the rightness of your partner or your relationship to the extent that you're actually spending hours a day obsessing about it in which case you may actually be struggling with something called relationship OCD. So the reason this is important is if you have relationship OCD, basically thinking more and more and more about whether the relationship is right keeps that anxiety experience going rather than really getting to the root of it. So if you're somebody who identifies with things like the thought that I don't really love my partner or vice versa haunts me, or I constantly doubt my relationship, or I check and recheck whether my relationship feels right. I would really recommend switching this episode off. We, we want you to listen to all of the other episodes, but switch this one off and go pick up the book Relationship OCD by Sheva Rajay. And we'll also link to that. Because it'd be really important to address that relationship OCD before making any decisions about your relationship. Perfect. So for today's episode, we've got four main questions we're going to attempt to address here. The first is looking at what are some of the signs that a relationship is healthy or unhealthy? Second, how much conflict is too much in a relationship? Third, at what point do I bring up concerns that I have in a relationship and how should I bring them up? And lastly, what are some approaches that can help me in deciding whether to break up or, or commit or stay in my relationship? So what are some signs that a relationship is healthy or unhealthy? 
Yeah. So we're going to go through the 10 signs of healthy and unhealthy relationships from the One Love Foundation. We want to just let you know, dear listener, that you don't need to worry about capturing all of this uh, just from us sharing verbally. We will link to that website and you can take a look. Just listen for what sticks out to you about your own relationship. So the first one, oh, and the other thing I want to say is I sort of tried to match the healthy and unhealthy things up, but they don't match perfectly. So if I'm going to give you kind of like this versus that, healthy versus unhealthy, and they, they're not always going to be perfect opposites. So bear with me on that. So in terms of healthy and unhealthy relationships, in healthy relationships, there's a comfortable pace. In unhealthy, there's a sense of intensity. Mm-hmm. Refer back to our episode on pacing for all about how to work with pacing in a healthy way. Absolutely. Okay. Another one in healthy relationships, there's trust. In unhealthy, there is things like sabotage when someone purposefully ruins your reputation or otherwise acts in a way that erodes trust over time. Third sign of health or unhealth in a relationship, honesty versus dishonesty or betrayal. We also have in healthy relationships, independence versus isolation. Isolation being when someone really keeps you away from friends, family, or other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, I feel like this is one that can kind of creep in when someone is very jealous, for instance, and they can start to make requests of like, oh, will you just not see that person because I get really insecure or I feel really uh, worried about that. And then kind of over time, it can be like more and more people in your life that you're suddenly being asked not to see. And it, it sort of seems like it's because they love you because you know they wouldn't be so jealous if they didn't care about you so much. And yet it becomes this very unhealthy, isolating. Suddenly you're just relying on that person for everything. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah, another one that I've heard is you just, you're not allowed to talk to your friends about our relationship. That's not Oof. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course there's, you know, there's a way to speak respectfully about one's relationship and respect our partner's confidentiality. But if somebody gives you the impression that you can't share what's going on for you in your relationship, that is not a good sign. Yeah. Number five, in healthy relationships, we have respect and in healthy, unhealthy relationships, there is manipulation when someone's trying to control your decisions, your actions, or your emotions. Mm-hmm. In healthy relationships, there's also equality, right? Things are balanced. In unhealthy relationships, there are dynamics that create an imbalance, things like guilting when someone really makes you feel responsible for their actions or makes you feel like it's your job to keep them happy. Mm -hmm. Number seven, in healthy relationships, we seek a lot of kindness. And in unhealthy relationships, there are unkind behaviors like belittling, right? So that's when somebody does or says something to make you feel bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. It also mm-hmm. relates to episode two, what to look for in a long-term partner, kindness. Yeah, it's huge. huge. It's huge. huge. Because there's so much in relationship that changes over time, right? Appearance, life circumstances. But if at the core you have kindness, there's a real resilience. Yeah. We also have in healthy relationships taking responsibility versus in unhealthy relationships deflecting responsibility when someone's repeatedly making excuses for unhealthy behavior. One of the things that we've seen that's that's a beautiful dynamic in a partnership is when both both people are maybe overtaking responsibility a little bit, <laughs> right? It's like, oh no, that was on me. I'm so sorry I did this. And they're like, no, 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 that was, you know. And right. it's, it's this kind of 
almost like we, we talk about sometimes a competition of generosity. Right. That you're you're always looking for what's what's my part in this? What's my piece rather than what's my partner doing wrong? And when, if you notice that it, for your for your partner, if they're always kind of pointing the finger back at you, that's a sign of an unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I love that quote. I think it's from Judith Orloff. I'll try and find it. The one about um, a really healthy partnership is a competition of generosity. So beautiful. Yeah. Number nine, we have in healthy relationships, healthy conflict, which means openly and respectfully discussing issues and confronting disagreements non-judgmentally. On the flip side, in unhealthy relationships, we see volatility. When someone has a really strong, unpredictable reaction that makes you feel scared, confused, or intimidated. Yep. (laughs) Been there. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, number 10, healthy relationships, there's an experience of fun. You Mm. enjoy spending time together. And and this, I think, is so important. You bring out the best in each other. Yeah. On the flip side, unhealthy relationships bring out sort of the worst side. One version of this is things like possessiveness. When someone is jealous to a point where they try to control you or who you spend time with. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's like a, a great general kind of guideline signs to look for. And I can imagine that you might even take that list, maybe look at that list on the One Love Foundation's website. If you have questions about, am I experiencing any of these things in my relationship? That's a great place to like kind of check it out and see, oh, eh, maybe maybe these these ones are things to look out for. And then if you need additional support, right, talk to someone you trust, a loved one, a friend, therapist, a coach, whoever it might be for you, if you need initial support to figure out, is this happening in my relationship? Because it can be so confusing sometimes. We get into these like almost like different worlds, right? It's like this little couple bubble, but not in a good way that it's like, yeah, it becomes an alternate reality almost. Right. Our couple therapist gave us a good term for that. It's that French term. Do you remember that one? I wish I did. It's It was, oh. Oh, folle de deux. Folle. <laughs> Pardon my terrible French accent. <laughs> folly de deux. I think that's what it was. Yeah, so folly of two, yeah. where it's like two people. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Grey Gardens. I have not. About the mother-daughter, I believe, who are kind of just living in their own delusion in this very old, broken-down house. And it's sort of this phenomenon where you can kind of join with someone else in your own kind of protected world where you're just really not in touch with reality anymore. Um, So I think your point is right on making sure that you are not alone in really processing and understanding what's happening in your relationship. You're getting outside feedback. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So how much conflict is too much conflict in a relationship? Mm -hmm. This is a question that... I feel like we hear a lot, you know, it's a natural question, right? For for so many of us, either we have this kind of the myth of the one, I meet this person and everything is easy. And if any conflict shows up, something is wrong, right? And it's like, well, I, this person seems amazing, but we're having this argument about this thing. Is it the end of our relationship? Or we get really comfortable with conflict and we just have conflict all the time. It's like, yeah, well, it's just, that's part of being in a relationship is we just fight, right? That's how it goes. And so I'm excited to talk about like how do you get to understanding what is healthy conflict in a relationship 
and how much is too much, if there's even a way to answer that. Yeah, yeah. So you named two very common things that happen for people around this question very beautifully. One thing that I want to start with is is really looking at the quality of the conflict versus the quantity. Now, let me back up a little bit. If you're fighting constantly and you are um, a wreck because of how much you're fighting, that's too much, mm-hmm. right? Like if you look at, can I still do my life with the level of conflict that's happening in my relationship? Can I show up for work? Can I show up for self-care? That will give you some sense of if it's too much. Mm. I love that that benchmark. It's like if the amount of conflict in my relationship is so all-consuming that I can't function in the rest of my life, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty good sign. That's too much. That's like yeah. one very clear marker. Right. Yeah. And, and let's also back up even more and say, you know, even if you were to, to name, ah, I'm not attending to the things I need to in my life, the level of conflict in my relationship is too much that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go. Mm-hmm. It just means you need more help. Right. Okay. Great point. Yeah. I think also about, you know, I remember a relationship years ago where I was doing a lot of calling friends in distress and it kind of had that feeling of like a little bit of an emergency sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like my friends were on speed dial often. Mm-hmm. Right. And that to me was a big sign. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's not standard for me. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good sign that like, ah, this, this one, this relationship really needs support and eventually was one I just had to leave. So coming back to focusing on the quality of the conflict. So if you've decided, ah, okay, I'm still attending to the things in my life. Maybe the amount is okay. Um, the thing I want you to look at is, you know, how are you being in the conflicts with your partner? So the Gottmans, who are great researchers on relationship, we've mentioned them often on here, they find that generally 69% of problems couples face are perpetual problems, right? So that tells us right there that conflict and unsolvable issues are par for the course in relationships. It's just going to come up. So if you are one of those people who lands in the myth of the one expectation, if they really are the perfect person for me, we we don't fight, I'm sorry, I have very bad news for you. (laughs) All relationships include some conflict. And relationship masters, which is the term the Gottmans use to describe those who are able to build happy relationships over time, they find that relationship masters are skillful about communicating about the perpetual problems. Okay, so um, one thing, for example, to look at is the ratio of positive to negative interactions. Josh, do you remember what ratio people should be looking for? I do. And there's actually, there's two different ratios. And this is, I love this. This is so, so useful. There's a ratio that the Gottmans talk about for positive to negative interactions. And this can be a micro expression, Mm -hmm. as I understand it, right? Could be a smile, could be a, you know, words of affection, little things. And they say in general in a relationship, uh, the relationship masters show, tend to show a ratio of 20 positive interactions for every negative interaction, which is kind of in, in the course of their relationship. Correct. And in conflict, even in conflict, they still show a ratio of five to one, five mm-hmm. positive interactions. Again, these micro expressions, whether it's a smile, a gentle touch on the arm, you know, a, an acknowledgement of something that they admire about their partner, five to one in conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, beautiful. And isn't that so interesting? We are all impacted when we are under stress to the degree that it's harder for us to do those usual things that we do. And if you can retain enough of that prefrontal cortex, wise mind to, you know, lean over to your partner and tell them, you know, I know we're fighting, but I love you, that will go a really long way. So in addition to really looking at the ratio of positive to negative interactions, you can also look at the whether the four horsemen of the apocalypse are present in your conflict. So this also comes from the Gottmans. And these are signs that they found after observing many, many couples and then over time seeing whether those couples stayed together or not. They found that criticism, contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling all, you know, if they were present in large degrees to large degrees, that predicted the end of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So really checking to see, are those present, noticing whether you participate in any of those, most of us do to some degree, and then also practicing the antidotes, which we can link to. Beautiful. The, the thing that I would add to this, because I, I love the focus on the quality of the conflict. That's so important. And for me, it's like, do we end a conflict knowing each other better in some way? Do we end our conflict feeling closer and more connected? Like we're better able to take good care of each other. You know, we've learned something about our partner, how to care for them kindly and compassionately, how to know them more deeply. Like maybe there's some some trauma that they've been through that that got kicked up and triggered and, and came up in this conflict. And now I know that and I can hold that in my heart and understand when this thing comes up, it's not really about me. You know, this is an opportunity for healing for both of us rather than like, oh, why does this person always do this to me? Ah, you know? And so I feel like that's a really good sign is if you're using your conflict as a way to love each other better. Yes, that's so beautiful. And I'm thinking about Stan Tatkin, how he talks about co-regulation, how partners, their nervous systems are intertwined and we have to learn how to be the world expert on our partner, Mm -hmm. including just what you said, like, ah, I'm learning where my partner's vulnerable spots are. Another thing to keep in mind about that co-regulation piece, which just means, ah, we help each other to calm and to feel grounded, is that, you know, secure functioning couples, they know how to, again, use humor, touch, other loving communication tactics to uh, diffuse conflict and to stop the, the conversation from spinning out, mm. right? So secure functioning couples are able to bring the level of distress down enough to make the conversation shorter and less impactful for the nervous system. Because if we, if you, I know I've been in those relationships that you may have as well, where it's, you go into a conflict and you come out of it feeling further apart it's like it's like you've kind of you've ended the conflict and i'm saying that in air quotes in that you're not talking about it anymore but there's still the like the tension or the kind of like uh i'm a little bit more on high alert because i'm worried that i'm going to do something that's going to upset my partner and we're going to go back into the swirl again or yeah something like that absolutely and then your nervous system just starts to get conditioned to associate your partner with distress yeah 
right? And so as much as you can really learning what, what does my partner need to be soothed and can, how can I practice that? And, and also looking at, is my partner able to learn that about me? Do they come into the conversation with that curiosity mindset that you mentioned committed to learning me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. The other piece I want to say about uh, how much conflict is too much is I want to really encourage you to practice know thyself. So really knowing your conflict, beliefs, experiences, and expectations. So you sort of named a little while ago, Josh, that there's often sort of like two sort of paths people go around this question of how much conflict is too much. One is having unrealistic expectations about relationships, like expecting little or no fighting. Mm -hmm. This often happens for people who have that myth of the one or what we call the unity mindset. So if my partner is my soulmate, then, you know, how would we possibly have conflict? Mm -hmm. Um, This also comes up often for um, those of us who have an avoidant attachment style, which Mm -hmm. often comes with kind of this fantasy of the right relationship will be easy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll get along most of the time, if not all of the time, with somebody who's not so quote unquote needy. So if that is you the work is going to be opening up more to conflict as being a, an inevitable and in fact a very important part of relationship. Now the other side of things is when people tend to overhelp or overaccommodate. So they'll, if conflict comes up, they'll kind of dismiss it or say like, ah, I, I just need to focus on helping my partner. But then over time, they build up, build up, build up resentment. They don't Mm -hmm. share their needs and then they kind of explode. Mm -hmm. And so this often happens for people who are anxiously attached, trauma survivors, adult children of alcoholics, people who struggle with codependency and boundaries and empaths. I think it also can really happen with. So really knowing yourself so that knowing your sort of conflict expectations so that you can kind of correct for that, whether that means being less tolerant of conflict or more tolerant of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, I love the nuance of that, that it's so important to know for ourselves what our growth edge is and not try to overgeneralize things that may be important for somebody else, but you have a different path. Yes, Absolutely. I'll give one more resource before we shift to the next question, which is Logan Urie's book, How to Not Die Alone. Chapter 14 is about what she refers to as hitchers and ditchers, which is just another way of looking at this. Like it's a way to sort of look at your own style and relationship and decide, ah, am I somebody who stays a little too long, who accepts a little too much conflict, or do I actually leave a little too soon because Mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable with conflict? Mm -hmm. And that one has some great tips for really combating those tendencies. Perfect. Okay, well, let's turn then to how to bring up concerns in a relationship, uh, when and how. This is a good, important question. So first and foremost, I I think it's really important to speak up early and speak up often when there are concerns. Now, I do think that there is a skillful way to do that, and we will get into that. But, you know, communicating your needs and your desires openly and directly as much as possible from the beginning will really give you the best information possible in terms of your compatibility, right? If you have a concern and you're not sharing it, you're not giving your partner the opportunity to respond skillfully and to really fix the problem. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so let's give an example. Let's say you matched with someone on Bumble. They suggest going out to a local wine bar. You don't drink. So your tendency maybe in relationship is to kind of let the other person lead. Maybe you're more on that anxious attachment side of things. And so you don't like to stir the pot too much. But what I would recommend there is to really let them know, hey, you know, I actually don't drink. Could we go to XYZ Cafe instead? I love tea. Um, And then you get to notice how they respond, right? Are they amenable? Do they respect and appreciate your open communication? Or maybe they make a joke about how dates are less fun without a drink, Mm -hmm. right? So, so much great information in there. They may have just saved you a lot of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing. Speak up early, speak up often. I love the way that you did that also because in some ways it's a concern, but in some ways it's just sharing something that you want, something that you're interested in, uh, or desire or need you have, and giving the, chan- the other person a chance to to meet you, to engage with you, to find a way to get creative and help you get your needs met. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, it's not even like I'm, you know, it's not even like I'm concerned that you want to go to a wine bar. It's, it's just like, Hey, I'd love to do this thing because I don't drink. How does that sound? Right. Yeah. Um, Which is very light. It's very like, at least has the opportunity to be playful, sweet, you know, inviting. inviting. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I love what you're pointing out there because it, uh, what that, how that lands for me is, Concerns are needs that have not been named or met. Ooh, I like that. Concerns are needs that have not been named or met. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So if we can name the needs early and often, we may have fewer concerns over time. Yeah, love that. Now let's talk about, let's say you do have some needs that aren't being met and therefore concerns are being created. Mm -hmm. How do you bring them up? Mm -hmm. Uh, So one thing that is really helpful for this is to make specific concrete requests. So let's, let's take an example. Let's say you're a new boyfriend, this person that you met on Bumble, who you said, hey, I don't drink, let's go to a cafe. He responds very positively. Everything progresses. You start to spend more time with each other and spend time at each other's homes and you find, ah, oh, he's lovely, he's really smart and funny and caring, but every time he stays over, he kind of leaves a mess. Like he's got dirty dishes, clothes on the floor, etc. And that really irks you. You love a tidy home. But also it goes a little deeper. Like you worry, is he mature enough? Like, is he going to be somebody I can build a life with? Mm-hmm. So a specific concrete request might sound something like, would you be willing to put your shoes in the closet when you come over? Okay. This is very different from things like, could you stop being a slob? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine. Yeah. That would garner a very, very different response. Yeah. So in the second one, we're using name calling labeling, characterizing, basically. We're Mm -hmm. attacking their character rather Mm -hmm. than just sort of asking for something that is actionable. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a great way to sort of gather information. If you're asking for something specific and concrete, you get to assess, gosh, were they they able to respond to me effectively? Beautiful. A more sort of 
in-depth version of this would be to use the formula, when you X, I feel Y, would you be willing to Z? Okay. So sharing about a feeling, or excuse me, sharing an observation, then a feeling, and then a concrete suggestion. Okay. So for example, when you leave dirty dishes in the sink while staying at my place, I feel annoyed and anxious about what it would be like to share a home together. Would you be willing to wash your dishes and otherwise pick up after yourself when you stay with me? What I notice you're, you're not doing there is when you stay over and leave dirty dishes in the sink, I worry that you're not mature enough to be my partner. Would you be willing? Da, 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 da. Right. Yeah. So this is really important. The first part of this statement needs to be a kind of objective observation. The second part needs to be a genuine feeling, not a judgment of the other person. And the third needs to be a specific request, mm -hmm. right? And so the feeling part, usually feelings and emotions, they're one word. And they, if it's actually a thought or a judgment, we tend to say, I feel like, or I feel that, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like you're not mature enough. I worry that you're not mature enough. It's very different from, I feel afraid. Mm -hmm. I feel anxious. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, this is such an important nuance because- you may have that thought, mm -hmm. I feel worried that he's not mature enough. And yet you can, I, I bet you can imagine even hearing us say that, if someone said that to you, it probably is not going to, it's not going to produce an opening for a creative solution, actually getting your need met. It's going to perhaps evoke some defensiveness, uh, some hurt feelings, that it's, it's, it's not a way to... Uh, to get your to get your needs met, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We have an article about I statements, so mm. we will link to that. That's another great one to look at to learn this skill. Brilliant. Another piece about bringing concerns up, we really want to avoid threatening the relationship. So let me give you an example of what a statement that might threaten the relationship. I don't know if I can really be in a relationship with someone who isn't as clean as me. Mm-hmm. Or, well, if you're not willing to respect me by cleaning up after yourself, I don't know how this is going to work. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's like a subtle sort of threat in there, a subtle sort of reference to like, I'm one foot in and one foot out. Yeah. If you're really one foot in, one foot out, there's a conversation that needs to be had potentially, but you want to really make sure that you're not saying that just in that moment of distress because it creates more insecurity in the relationship, which is going to create more of what you don't want. Mm -hmm. People get squirrely when they feel insecure. They either cling or they run. Yeah. I'm hearing you say in there, that's like the general principle. Don't toss that off in conversation. And if you're really at a point where you're seriously considering ending the relationship, what I'm hearing you say is don't not share that. Like, like share that. Mm -hmm. am, I, am I hearing that right? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, there's, there's some like skill in there. I think there's a way to say like, I'm really struggling without saying like, I'm like a couple days away from breaking up with you. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, you know, yeah. don't get to a place where you're blindsiding your partner with a breakup. Make sure that they really get how, how much distress you're in. Along those lines, I think that it's really good to remember that if you have access to it, couples therapy is a wonderful support. And I often like to recommend couples therapy as preventative treatment 
right? I think in our culture, we think of couples going to couples therapy when they're on the brink of divorce and that's not necessary. It's wonderful for earlier on in the relationship so that you have a safe space to talk to each other about concerns and you have support to communicate about them skillfully. Okay, cool. Well then anything else on concerns? No. Great. So let's, let's wrap up then with some approaches that can help for deciding whether to break up or commit the relationship. Yes. So if you've listened to all of the information here so far and you're still like, I don't know, <laughs> how do I make this decision? I want to give you some tools that you can use. I also just first want to really validate this is a complex decision. Expect it to be a decision that you make over time through mindful self-inquiry, both on your own and in the presence of others. And I think that's really important. Remember, you don't want to get stuck in that. Uh, Follow the deux. <laughs> Follow the deux. Um, forgive us for our terrible French accents. Um, I studied French when I was a kid. Did you? Still, it's terrible. Okay, yeah. all right. We've been watching our we've been watching our dating reality show, The Ultimatum France, and practicing our French accents mm. by repeating back to everyone on the show <laughs> what they're saying. <laughs> We still have ways to go, as you can tell. Anyway. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I have a thought actually I'd love to share just as context or overall way to think about stay or go. Because I think when we just say stay or go, stay, like what does stay mean? It's not, it's not just the absence of leaving, right? Right. It's either, it, it literally is time to break up, time to end the relationship, and that's what, so. Or perhaps it's either... This is still a possibility worth exploring, right? There is more information to gather about whether we are a good fit as long-term partners. Is this the person that I want to, you know, build a life with in some fashion? And I just don't actually know that yet. There's more information that I need or that we need together to figure that out. And so I, I love this question of, is this a possibility worth exploring, which you maybe heard us talk about in the pacing episode, I think, mm-hmm. or... Is it time to make a next step of commitment with this person, right? Which could be any number of things. It could be that it's time to, to acknowledge we want to be in an exclusive relationship together in that kind of that, that form of commitment. Maybe it's time to introduce them to your, your friends or your family. Maybe it's time to move in together. Maybe it's time to get engaged if, if you're interested in marriage. But that there's some that next active step for engagement in the relationship versus just, well, I'm just not going to leave for now. Right, <laughs> right. right. That's, it's kind of a passive stance yeah. and a kind of unclear. Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm going to defer not leaving. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, well, and I love the different options you gave there and how stay can mean, oh, I'm going to stay long enough to gather more information. Because I think that for some people, you're right, that question of stay or go is problematic, particularly if you're in a place where you don't have enough information. And so you can't know Mm -hmm. whether this is your person forever and ever. Yeah. Is this a possibility worth exploring? Mm -hmm. Great guiding question. Shall we go over eight approaches to help you clarify whether to stay or go? Yes. I want to hear your approaches. Yes. Okay, number one, identify what you're looking for in a partner and a relationship. We do have an episode about this. We'll link you to it. 
we recommend completing our ideal mate exercise, which can really help you get clear about your deal breakers, your strong desires, your nice to haves. And so the idea here is can you kind of get a sense of that vision of partner, partnership outside of this current partnership? I mean, certainly what's happening now will inform, you know, what you envision but just getting a sense of your values so that you can then get a sense of like, how far off are you from that vision? Beautiful. Number two is to use structured practices to help you connect with your thoughts, feelings, and concerns without needing to filter. Mm -hmm. So things like journaling, meditation, making art, those are all things that you can kind of do on your own to connect with your own wisdom and experience. When we are in partnership with our partner, it can sometimes be hard for some people to really feel into themselves. Yes. Right? And that's in some ways by design. As I said earlier, you know, in relationships, our, our nervous systems get intertwined. Mm-hmm. And particularly if you're an empath, it's sometimes going to be hard to feel me from you. And especially, especially, especially if you are a trauma survivor. Mm-hmm. So that solo time is going to be really important, as is getting help from a calm, loving other, someone like a therapist or a friend. And in these structured practices, I really want to encourage you to both think and feel. For some people, when they're stressed, they go into their heads and they stop feeling their heart and their body, which has a lot of important information. I, I forget the exact number, but it's like, our thinking brain encodes like 50 bits of information per second and our body or feeling brain encodes something like 11 million bits, mm-hmm. wow. which we experience through the what's called bottom-up information that is the somatic or sensation from our bodies that comes into our brain's awareness. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So it's really important to access both. I, I love that that encouragement because it can be so easy to have lots of rational reasons for for either you know, talking yourself into staying or talking yourself into leaving and yet have a different somatic experience or different feeling about it. Like, mm. right, you, you notice, oh, I'm, I'm trying to come up with reasons to stay, but I feel like crap. Yes. That's really important information. It really is. And I want to come back to our trauma survivor listener, you may have been in a situation previously where you were gaslit or encouraged not to hear your own intuition, in which case you may have a tendency to privilege what your thinking mind is saying over what your gut says, which is why this is so important. Mm -hmm. I'll share a story from a a mentor of mine from many years ago um, and her husband, she realized had a, a serious addiction that he was not willing to treat. And she didn't know whether to stay or to go. And the practice that she used was by she sat in meditation every day. So she got under the thinking mind and sat with her experience and just asked herself the question, stay or go. And she found that every day consistently for, I think it was 30 days, she heard go. And that's what she ended up doing. And that was the right decision for her. Mm -hmm. I love that, you know, very intentional practice and just showing up with an open heart to hear what's true. So number three, approaches to help you clarify whether to stay or go is coming back to that concept of know thyself. So really contemplate your typical relationship patterns, your expectations of romantic partners, your attachment style, and getting a sense of 
right, am I a hitcher or a ditcher? Do I stay too long in relationships? Do I go too soon? I think all of that's going to be really important information for you to sort of answer this question wisely and in a self-aware way. Mm-hmm. So number four is to ask for honest feedback from loved ones and professionals. We talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, love is blind. We can't always see ourselves and we do need outside perspectives. One of my favorite dating therapists out there, Ken Page, talks about how our loved ones can typically tell us in a New York minute how we're self-sabotaging when it comes to love. So it's a scary thing, but a very helpful thing to ask or feedback. Uh, Stan Tacken talks about vetting our partners, so bringing our partners around to the people in our life who know us well, and not just asking them, what did you think of my partner, but asking them, what did you think of me when I was with my partner? I love that. That's so good. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Because it's easy to be like, oh yeah, they were lovely. They were, right. and it's like, oh wait, but you, like, you didn't talk at all. You weren't mm-hmm. your normal self with them right. or, you know, whatever it might be. It's so valuable. Yes, absolutely. Number five on our list of approaches that can help you clarify whether to stay or go, speak openly with your partner about what you need. Mm-hmm. See the previous whole part of the episode about how to do that. <laughs> yep. That will give you really good information about what is possible between the two of you. Number six, run experiments to gather more data. Okay, so in addition to speaking with your partner, think about ways that you can gather the information that you need to really make this decision. When we're stuck making a decision, often it means data is missing. And so let's give an example. If you wonder whether your partner would be a good co-parent, for example, and there's just not been a way to check that out. And that's part part of what's on your heart when you ask this question, because you really want kids. You can do things like, you know, sharing with your partner, hey, I want to have kids in the future. I'm curious about what's possible with us in that realm. Like, how would that be for us to co-parent? Would you be willing to like, I don't know, dog sit with me sometime? Or my sister's got this adorable kid and she's always looking for babysitters. Do you want to like join me to babysit for an evening. Mm. And I say it that way because I want to make sure it's clear that this isn't about testing mm-hmm. your partner. Right. This isn't about like a secret, like pass fail test that you're going to run without their knowledge. And if they do it wrong, then right. they're done. Right. That's a little bit more manipulative and right. icky. Yes. Yeah. Another one that I think Logan talks about is the canoe test, which is go canoeing with your partner and see what it's like to sync up with them. It does have the word test in it, which I don't love, but here we are. <laughs> but but I think the heart of what, what you're saying, which I love is pointing to, even in the invitation, it's like an invitation to experiment together mm-hmm. rather than I'm over here testing you. It's like, let's see how we are together in this. Right. Which is a, a much more sweet, open kind of invitation to play together. Right. Yes. Okay. So the next one, number seven, is adopt a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Right. So you might be putting pressure on yourself to know the answer to this question should I stay or should I go? And for some people, I think that not knowing feels like a failure. Mm -hmm. 
of themselves, of the other person, and there may be worry that you're wasting time or you're wasting the other person's time. All of that is a, I think, comes from a fixed mindset. So it's not holding the relationship as a journey and as a growth process and really giving you the space to not know and to be growing through the process. And so the recommendation here is just really reframing, committing to use this experience you're having with the relationship to learn new skills and to get to know yourself better. Mm-hmm. See our episode on online dating burnout yes. for more about growth mindset. Absolutely. Okay, lastly, our eighth way to clarify whether to stay or go, get support, and that could be professional support. We've talked about this a little bit already, but you know, I like to just name that indecisiveness can be a symptom of anxiety. It can be a symptom of PTSD. Also, early attachment injuries or traumas, basically difficulties in our relationships with our primary caregivers as babies and children can really correlate with higher levels of anxiety and distress in relationships, okay? And so if it's just feeling impossible to make the decision, if it's available to you getting in treatment with a really qualified professional to help you work on that. Beautiful. And even even if you don't have access to a therapist or counselor of some kind, as we've been saying throughout, talk to your loved ones, talk to friends, talk to trusted family members. Anyone who can help you reflect, get outside of your own head is really valuable. Absolutely. There are also some free chat lines, free support lines. We can link to some of those. You can text or call. And there are a lot of wonderful people on these support lines who will offer a a listening ear if nothing else is available to you. Beautiful. You're beautiful. Thanks. You got anything else? I'm I'm just wondering if it makes sense for us to like summarize. Yeah. We haven't done that before. Let's, let's summarize. I let's love it. Let's summarize. Okay. So will you help me? I'll try. Okay, great. Okay. Summary. I'm ready. Signs that a relationship is healthy, comfortable pace, trust, honesty, independence, respect, quality, kindness, taking responsibility healthy conflict, and fun. Woo-woo. Yep. Unhealthy relationship signs, intensity, sabotage, betrayal, isolation, manipulation, guilting, belittling, deflecting responsibility, volatility, and possessiveness. Mm-hmm. Check out show notes for links there. How much conflict is too much? Unless, unless conflict is taking you outside of your life, you know, interrupting your, your, your work and your life outside of your relationship, focus more on the quality of the conflict than the quantity of the conflict. Learn skills for fighting and using I statements and things like that to take good care of each other. Use conflict to learn more about each other and take good care of your partner, love them better out of the conflict. And watch out for the four horsemen of the apocalypse per the Gottman's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. In terms of at what point do I bring up concerns I have in a relationship, speak up early, speak up often, make specific concrete requests, and avoid threatening the relationship. And consider couples therapy. 
And what are some approaches for deciding whether to break up or commit to your relationship? Identify what you're looking for in a partner. Use structured practices to reflect and understand what you are thinking and feeling. Know thyself, know your, your typical relationship patterns, your attachment style. Ask for honest feedback from your loved ones and professionals. Speak openly with your partner about what you need. Run experiments to get more data. Adopt a growth mindset and get professional support. Woot woot. Woot woot. Hope that was helpful. And that's that's what we got today. Is that it? That's it. That's it. So we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes with all the links to the resources we mentioned in this episode at relationshipcenter.com slash podcast. If you like this show, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app. Uh, even a short review helps other sweet humans like you find the show. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, send it to us at podcast at relationshipcenter.com. We promise we read every email and we so appreciate you reaching out. And until next time. We love you too. We love you too. Bye. Au revoir. Au revoir. Bonne chance. Bon.